This is a five train. The next stop is Wall Street. Herzlich willkommen zu Wall Street Weekly, dem Börsenpodcast aus New York. Ich bin Sophie Schimanski und ich freue mich sehr, dass Sie wieder mit dabei sind. Das Coronavirus Covid-19 ist in erster Linie gefährlich für die Gesundheit der Menschen. Und es schadet ihrem Wohlstand, denn es verringert das Wirtschaftswachstum. Das Gefährliche für die Aktienmärkte ist die Panik und die scheinbare Unvorhersehbarkeit der Pandemie und ihre Unberechenbarkeit. Dabei war diese Pandemie alles andere als unvorhersehbar. Wir haben lediglich die Möglichkeit ignoriert. Dazu spreche ich mit Michelle Walker, Gründerin und CEO von der Unternehmensberatung Grey Rhino. Sie hat den Begriff Grey Rhino geprägt, graues Nashorn. Dieses Phänomen ist verwandt mit dem des Black Swans. Der Black Swan ist ein Ereignis, das höchst selten und eigentlich unwahrscheinlich ist. Nur der Ausbruch von Covid-19 ist eben kein schwarzer Schwan, sagt Michelle Walker, sondern ein graues Nashorn. Und wir beenden auch diese Folge mit einer Börsenweisheit und die kommt von der Investorenlegende Warren Buffett. Sie dreht sich um die Rolle, die Emotionen beim Investieren spielen, passend zu der letzten Woche. Die Anleger haben Angst. Die letzte Woche war die wohl nervenaufreibendste seit der 2008er Finanzkrise. Anfangs bemühten sich die Händler auf dem Parkett noch um Gelassenheit, aber bald klang es eher so. The sky is falling. Get out, get out while you can. Das schrieb Chris Rupke, Chefökonom der MUFG Union Bank in einer Notiz an Kunden. Die Kurse an der Börse letzte Woche waren so volatil und die Verluste so groß, dass Vergleiche zur Finanzkrise 2008 gezogen wurden. Der S&P 500 und der Dow Jones fielen letzte Woche zwischenzeitlich in den Bärenmarkt, also mehr als 20 Prozent unter ihr letztes Hoch. Der Dow hat am vergangenen Donnerstag den größten prozentualen Verlust und damit den schlechtesten Tag seit 1987 erlebt. Im Laufe der Woche schwankte er rund 4000 Punkte nach unten und nach oben und beendete sie auf einem Zählerstand von etwas mehr als 23.000 Punkten. Noch im Februar hatte er an der 30.000-Punkte-Marke gekratzt. Die Investmentbank Goldman Sachs senkte ihr S&P 500 Halbjahresziel auf 2.450 Punkte, noch einmal 15% unter dem aktuellen Niveau und 28% unter dem Höchststand. Noch bevor die Weltgesundheitsorganisation den Corona-Ausbruch als globale Pandemie definierte, rief Goldman Sachs offiziell das Ende des Bullenmarktes aus. Denn was die Hamsterkäufe von Desinfektionsmitteln und Klopapier der Menschen sind, sind die Panikverkäufe der Anleger. Gleich zweimal in der Woche schalteten sich sogenannte Circuit Breaker ein, die den Handel für etwa jeweils 15 Minuten aussetzten, weil die Kurse so stark gefallen waren. Die Anlegerpanik hat inzwischen deutlich das Niveau der Finanzkrise von 2008 übertroffen. Der 4-Greed-Indikator des MSCI All-Country-World-Index zeigt einen neuen Rekordwert. Für die Finanzmärkte sind Angst und Ungewissheit über die Zukunft ebenso schädlich wie das Virus gefährlich für den Menschen und verheerend für die Weltwirtschaft ist. Der Chefberater der Allianz Mohammed El Erian sagte auf CNBC: The biggest uncertainty is what I call the economics of fear. How will you and I react? Are we going to exaggerate the downward trend? Are we going to de-engage from the economy at a faster rate? If we do, 
then I, you know, it's going to be pretty messy. So the hardest thing to predict in all this is the economics of fear. Hier sind also vor allem psychologische Prozesse am Werk. Emotionen sind schwer zu stoppen, sind sie einmal ins Rollen gekommen. Angst ist eine ganz eigene Epidemie geworden in diesem Umfeld, sagt auch der amerikanische Ökonom Robert Schiller auf CNBC. What we have now is really two epidemics. We have an epidemic of the coronavirus, but we also have an epidemic of fear based around a narrative that is not necessarily keeping up with scientific uh, reality. So I, I think that we're in for some tumultuous periods, whether it's up or down. It's a dangerous time for the stock market. Natürlich sind die möglichen negativen Auswirkungen für die Realwirtschaft Grund genug für die Kursverluste. Viele Marktteilnehmer befürchten, die nächste Rezession steht bevor, sagt zum Beispiel Susan Schmidt von der Vermögensverwaltung Aviva Investors. Perhaps this is the rollover that people have been expecting. I think people have been concerned for so long, looking over their shoulder, waiting to see, has the next recession started? Have we finally petered out? That there is a knee-jerk reaction in today's response and what you're seeing in the market. People are anxiously anticipating that next event that will cause the recession. Could this be it? And I think that's going through a lot of investors' minds. Goldman Sachs geht davon aus, dass das Gewinnwachstum der Unternehmen sich frühestens im vierten Quartal 2020 erholen wird. Wells Fargo zieht nur nach einem Tag die eigene Prognose zurück und passt sie nach unten hin an. In der Prognose, die wir erst gestern veröffentlicht haben, sehen wir einen leichten Rückgang des US-GDPS im zweiten Quartal 2020 mit einer Rückkehr zum Wachstum im folgenden Quartal. Die Ereignisse der letzten 24 Stunden haben jedoch schmerzlich deutlich gemacht, dass wir diese Prognose überdenken müssen. Es wird immer wahrscheinlicher, dass die bevorstehende Kontraktion tiefer und langwieriger sein wird, als wir es vor wenigen Tagen erwartet hatten. Kurz gesagt, eine Rezession scheine immer wahrscheinlicher. Laut einer konservativen Prognose von Oxford Economics dürfte Chinas Wirtschaftswachstum in diesem Jahr von 6,1 Prozent im Vorjahr auf 5,6 Prozent sinken. Dies würde wiederum das globale Wirtschaftswachstum für das Jahr auf eine Jahresrate von 2,3 Prozent reduzieren. Das langsamste Tempo seit der globalen Finanzkrise vor einem Jahrzehnt. Diese Lage zwingt die Notenbanken vieler Länder dazu, ihr letztes Pulver zu verschießen oder gerade erst wieder unter den Füßen gewonnenen Boden zu verlieren. Die amerikanische Notenbank senkte die Zinsen in einem Notfallschritt und diesen Mittwoch wird ein weiterer Zinsschritt erwartet, bei der planmäßigen Sitzung. Und damit wollen sie nicht nur den Unternehmen und Konsumenten helfen, sondern letztendlich auch die Anleger beschwichtigen. Und dem Präsidenten. Der hat immer wieder Zinssenkungen verlangt und das bereits vor der Viruskrise. We hope the Federal Reserve will finally get on board and do what they should do, because we're doing things that they should be doing, frankly, and Trump nennt den Ausbruch in seiner Ansprache am Donnerstagabend letzte Woche also unvorhersehbar. From the beginning of time, nations and people have faced unforeseen challenges, including large scale and very dangerous health threats. This is the way it always was and always will be. Das Narrativ hält sich hartnäckig. Ebenso erschrocken sind Anleger und Marktteilnehmer über das plötzliche Ende des elf Jahre alten Bullenmarktes. Das geflügelte Wort Black Swan macht die Runde. Black Swan-Ereignisse sind unvorhersehbar, 
selten und bedeutsam genug, um die Geschichte zu prägen. Der Begriff Black Swan kommt von Nassim Nicholas Taleb, einem ehemaligen Optionshändler und Autor. Zu den schwarzen Schwanereignissen zählte Taleb die Verbreitung des Internets, die Terroranschläge vom 11. September 2001 und die Weltwirtschaftskrise. Pandemien sind nicht unvorhersehbar und selten. In der Geschichte wiederholen sie sich ständig. Michael Osterholm ist ein international anerkannter Experte für Epidemiologie von Infektionskrankheiten. Er ist auch Autor des Buches Deadliest Enemy – Our War Against Deadly Germs. Mit Podcast-Host Joe Rogan hatte er über den Corona-Ausbruch gesprochen. You know, we are uh, not prepared at all in the sense, you know, I uh, wrote the book um, Deadliest Enemies that was published in 2017. In uh, Chapter 13, the title of the chapter was SARS and MERS, a harbinger of things to come. You know, we oh predicted this. And then I wrote a chapter on there what a flu pandemic would look like if it emerged in China. And if you read it, it's exactly what's happened. The supply chains went down, China locked down the country, it spread to other countries, people all pointed fingers. And, you know, it's it's eine Gefahr, die wir kommen sehen, aber ignorieren, ist ein Grey Rhino, ein graues Nashorn. Diesen Begriff hat Michelle Walker geprägt. 2016 in ihrem Buch The Grey Rhino – How to Recognize and Act on the Obvious Dangers We Ignore. Mit ihr spreche ich darüber, was es bedeutet und warum die Analogie des Black Swans auf die aktuellen Ereignisse angewendet nicht passt. Hello, Michelle. How are you? Good. Thanks. How are you doing? Oh, so good. I'm really happy we get to talk. Oh, my pleasure. So you coined the phrase uh, gray rhino. So what is a great rhino in terms of finance, in terms of the stock market, economic policy? What is it when it's not an animal? So the gray rhino is big, high impact, high probability. It's likely to happen. It's coming right at you. Imagine this giant two-ton beast with a horn that's coming straight at you. And you've got a choice. You either let it trample you or you get out of the way and let it trample someone else. Or you get on the back and you use the power to get where you want to go. And it came out of finance. And this image is, is relevant for everything from high finance, sovereign debt crisis, to corporate strategy, things like the, the, the GM scandal or the VW scandal, to, you know, to, to other policies, to you know, like climate change issues is one I see a lot, to certainly the coronavirus, which we're, we're seeing right now. You, you hear all these people hollering, oh, it's a black swan, nobody saw it coming. But you look at all of the warnings that another pandemic is coming. And in theory, the black swan is something that's so improbable and unforeseeable and unimaginable that you can't even picture it ahead of time. But if you've seen so many pandemics over the course of history, if you can't imagine another one coming, then you're really not not looking. You're you're just an ostrich with your head in the sand. Do we choose not to see the rhino, which means are we turning our backs on the coronavirus outbreak in, in this case? Or are we not able to see it because, I don't know, there's a sandstorm. Like, are we ignoring it? There are lots of reasons. Some of them are cognitive biases, that we're more likely to shut out what we don't want to see, what we don't want to hear, what we don't want to accept. And some of that's a defensive mechanism. That, uh, you know, sometimes if something's so big, if you accept 
the magnitude of it all of it at once is just overwhelming and you're going to collapse. So some of it's a human defense mechanism that's rooted in our biases. But sometimes there's a, what you call manufactured denial, where there are people who see the problem coming, but who actually have an interest in people not seeing it. It's like tobacco, that companies didn't want people to see the health benefits. Or it's like with fossil fuels, that companies didn't want people to see the damage that the product was doing. And in finance, it's a very, very interesting to see how this black swan concept has, has taken hold because it's very much in the interests of brokers and bankers for people to be so invested in this black swan idea because they make money when people, you know, when people buy or sell, you know, whichever way it goes. And they make their bonuses when people are putting more and more and more money into the market. And so it's in their interest for people not to see the problems coming. So if, if something happens, they can come out and say, oh, that was a black swan. Nobody saw it coming, even though in many cases people did. In the market situation right now, for many, many months, even years, the smartest people on Wall Street have been warning about the dangers of low interest rates. They've been warning about the changes in the tax policy. They've been warning about the growing deficit. They've been warning about the way quantitative easing has funneled money into speculative stock market investments instead of into the real economy. For So for anyone to say they didn't see a market crash coming, it's a black swan, that's ridiculous. Similarly, for people to say that they didn't see the possibility of a pandemic, that's ridiculous. It's especially ridiculous now that we've had weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of advance notice and the United States hasn't gotten its, its testing capabilities into shape. And what I always say is whenever you see something that people call a black swan, it's usually because there's a crash of gray rhinos that have gone unnoticed. And crash is the zoologically correct word for a group of rhinos. Very, very appropriately. Right. Since you, you already brought up the black swan, are they the opposites of each other? Are they related? Are they siblings? I don't know. Are they doing mimicry? I've, like, how are they? They're related for sure. I often describe the gray rhino as the love child of the black swan and the elephant in the room. You know, the black swan being so improbable and high impact that you just, you know, you can't imagine it ahead of time. The elephant in the room being something that by definition, nobody says or does anything about. And so the gray rhino is a thing that, that like the black swan is very, very high impact. Like the elephant in the room, it's, it's very big. Like the black swan, it doesn't get as much attention as needed. But like the elephant in the room, it's big and obvious. However, unlike the elephant in the room or the black swan, people are talking about it. In many cases, like climate change, for example, you've got a lot of people out there saying, hey, this is a problem. They're talking about it. Many people are even doing something about it. But not enough people have embraced the idea that this is real and big and coming straight at us to actually do something about it. When you say people, and I've been thinking about that because when it comes to the coronavirus outbreak, when it comes to climate change, The media is certainly talking about that a lot and like in case of the coronavirus, almost in a panicky way, which also doesn't help. So I'm wondering who is 
either choosing to ignore these problems, who is not being responsible in this way? What are the market participants who are choosing to ignore the rhinos? It's very hard to find the sweet spot between unnecessary panic and healthy precautions. And the media is not, not helping in this regard. Uh, we've seen so much misinformation going out and about. I got an email the other day about how if you sip water every 15 minutes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wash the virus down to the stomach acid that's going to dissolve it, which, of course, science doesn't support at all. But policymakers, I think, are really important here. And in the United States, we're getting such mixed and confused messages from the top that it's very, very dangerous. And the people who were in charge of making decisions over whether tests would be made available, you know, what kind of tests, how we can scale up testing, how we can make sure that, you know, that masks and hand sanitizer are available, you know, obviously soap, soap and water, washing your hands is the best solution, but, but people are freaking out and, and buying all these other things. People are buying masks so that there aren't enough for health workers who actually need them. We've had weeks and weeks and weeks to be sure that we can be prepared, and Americans really haven't done so. And it's it's really quite frightening to me to see the direction that this could go. Earlier, you mentioned reasons for the phenomenon that why we're choosing to ignore a rhino or why we actually do not see it. That's like the human bias kind of like that. What is it in in a case of the coronavirus, would you say, when you're targeting the, the policymakers? Well, I think there's some wishful thinking. They they really want it to go away. And I think there's some 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 hopes that it will just uh, blend into the normal flu numbers and that, that people will ignore it. As we've had an administration for the last few years that is used to saying things that aren't true and a disturbingly large number of people believe them when they say things that aren't true. So we're in this world where it's much, much harder to distinguish between true and not true than it used to be. And that's only making the problem worse. The, the World Health Organization has actually come out and talked about the dangers of an infodemic. And, and that's really what we're, we're dealing with as well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a second gray rhino. Or, or maybe it's just getting a little bit bigger through, through what, that. Well, it's true. I often see that these these gray rhinos do move in groups and that often if you want to solve a problem, you've got to look not just at one, but at several. You look at, say, climate change, and that is very, very closely related to financial stability. Over the past year, lots of investors and central banks have been coming out and saying, hey, you know, the, the in insurance industry is not well enough capitalized to be able to handle if we have as, as much of an increase in extreme weather and storms and natural disasters as we think is likely to happen. And so central banks have actually been commissioning studies over the systemic financial risk that climate change causes. So you need in many cases to look at the connections between things, or you look at say coronavirus and the fact that people are going to have to be taking time off work that uh, cities are losing hundreds of millions of dollars from canceled conferences and things. And you look at the fact that 40% of Americans can't manage a $400 emergency expense. 
those two are going to come together in a very scary way along with the, the problems in a healthcare system. So we're very much seeing a crash of gray rhinos, lots of systemic problems that have been ignored, and those come together in ways that can be unexpected and much more extreme than any of us might have thought any one of them could cause. And since it's a gray rhino, I guess its nature is that they are common and that they're way more obviously gray rhinos than black swans, which also means that they're more dangerous because there are just so plenty of them and they're, they're high impact. But the thing about, about gray rhinos is that you can see them ahead of time, that you've got a chance to do something about them. The black swan is useful in getting us to expand our imaginations, to see things more broadly than we might have, to to imagine potential scenarios that we need to we need to be keeping in mind. And it's also useful for thinking about how we make our systems more resilient, which might be, you know, higher reserves or uh, you know But more attention ahead of time to what you're going to do if a potential problem happens. But the problem with the black swans is it takes attention away from the obvious things and it provides a cop-out. People are so used to hearing that this was a black swan, nobody could have seen it coming, that they're much too likely to leave decision makers, to leave, you know, whether it's a business leader or a policymaker, people are much more likely to leave those decision makers off the hook when they've made decisions that were bad, when they should have seen something coming, when they should have listened to other people who saw something coming. So it's really dangerous to to spend so much time thinking that we don't have any power over what's going to happen because we actually do have power to change a lot more things than uh, some of the powers that be would like us to think about. Mm. So the the last question, is there any kind of way to, I don't know, tame a gray rhino or do you have to fight it or is there any kind of way to deal with that? Well, I, I try to stay away from uh, images of, you know, fighting or killing or anything because the, the rhinos themselves are endangered. And so I don't want any violence to, to the rhinos. Um, but uh, I, talk, I talk about it as as wrangling or, you know, harnessing, channeling the power of the gray rhino And the first thing is is so just shockingly obvious that people actually miss it. But it's it's like recognize the fact that you're much more likely to ignore the obvious things in front of you than you would like to admit. Thank you so much, Michelle, for talking to me. And I think we had a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Michelle. Have a good day. Great. Thanks. You too. Und auch heute gebe ich Ihnen wieder eine Börsenweisheit mit zum Schluss. Es gibt eine von Warren Buffett. If you cannot control your emotions, you cannot control your money, lautet sie. Also, wenn du deine Emotionen nicht im Griff hast, hast du auch dein Geld nicht im Griff. Und ich finde, das passt sehr gut in diesem sehr emotionalen Umfeld. Die Verkäufe, die wir gesehen haben, sind absolut panikgetrieben. Wie wichtig Warren Buffett den EQ findet, also den Emotionalquotienten verglichen mit dem IQ, sagte hier auch nochmal in einem Interview mit Steve Forbes und Rapper Jay-Z. In anderen Worten, Warren Buffett glaubt, man braucht nicht besonders viel Intelligenz in diesem Geschäft, aber emotionale Stabilität. 
Das war's von meiner Seite. Wenn Sie Anregungen, Wünsche oder Feedback haben, schreiben Sie mir gerne eine E-Mail an wallstreetweekly at mediapioneer.com. Wir hören uns nächsten Montag wieder. Haben Sie eine erfolgreiche und vor allem gesunde Woche. Ihre Sophie Schimatzki.